Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. friends this is andre here and you're listening to the tennis and bagels podcast and uh today we are joined again uh with uh the the, t- the entire tennis and bagels crew we got owen here and vanish how are you guys doing today doing well thanks really excited to be here yeah super excited to get into some talking some tennis it's been a lot of tennis going on the last couple of weeks and some really exciting storylines to look ahead to yeah so Excited about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know about you guys, but every time that a Grand Slam ends, there's like a little bit of like a like a hangover period in which like I just kind of don't necessarily tune in very well to tennis. It's like I know what's going on, but it's not like I'm watching matches. And even if there's good matches on, I'm not fully concentrated into watching those matches. Um, but um, yeah, last week we had some like interesting stories and good plays and good players in the in the, in the draws. We had a Rotterdam, and um, on the uh, we had also a tournament in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, and mm-hmm. in uh, WCA. Where was it again, Vansh? We had a, we had a tournament in uh, Doha, which is um, which was a WTA 500. Yeah, um, it actually alternates every year, so every even year it's uh, 1,000, and then it switches around to the 500. But it was a great field, and I actually I have to t- completely agree with you. After a Grand Slam finishes, there's usually a a sort of a low period and hangover. This is a strange time in the year, just generally, even without the pandemic of uh, February, because you feel like there's a lot of great playing opportunities and, you know, it's really good for the players. They get to hop around and there's a golden swing of the clay season in South America and there's tournaments that are indoors, but they're not really leading up to anything, uh, anything in particular until the sunshine double, really, which is like Indian Wells in Miami. But uh, because of COVID times, obviously everything is kind of compressed. So you have a lot of events going on and, it's very difficult to really follow it, even for the most, uh, you know, hardcore tennis fans, because a lot of these matches are actually going on at the same time. Yeah. You have, you know, matches that are overlapping and players just hopping and playing every week. And it's, it, it's great. I'm happy for them, but it's, uh, it's, it's not the easiest thing to, to keep, to keep track of that you can just have your stream running and, uh, yeah. and, and set out times, times to watch. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually just telling Vaunch about this a couple hours ago when the Australian Open finishes. I tend to get a bit of tennis burnout or a hangover, like you said, Andre. I think um, part of it is the Australian Open is such a huge tournament, and so everything after, right after feels a little bit less important by comparison. And also, I just need to catch up on sleep, so I haven't been able to follow the recent tennis as closely as I'd like either. Yep, and but that being said, you know, a lot of really great storylines and hmm. a lot of great things once you do read up on it and you catch up on it and you feel like you're playing catch up, but once you, you know, once you start reading about the stories, you you really feel like the the tour just never stops, <laughs> and it never stops giving because there's a lot a lot of stuff we want to talk to, and I guess we can start 
we could start um, uh, mentioning uh, the tournament in Rotterdam, I guess, yeah. on the men's side. Well, I, I just um, want to say one thing. Like when I asked you about the 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 tournament at at the WTA one in Doha. I had a yeah. f- I, I I think I knew it was in Doha, but I was just getting confused because at this week we're having another tournament in Doha, but that's the men's size, and I was like, mm. is, yeah. "Is that right? That's not right. It's a Doha again." But like, yeah, no, it, it was it is Doha again this week. It was in. No, the- no, you're right because yeah. they actually use the same site. They actually yeah. use the same site back to back weeks, so exactly, we, we, we yeah. would actually get the privilege of playing on it first, and then it moves on, and the tournament changes their ban- banners, and you'll see a, a completely different look when. Uh, Mr. Roger Federer returns to the court and plays in Doha this week. Yeah. So. And before we get to that, you're going to say something, right? Yeah, I was going to mention uh, we had we had the indoor tournament in Rotterdam, and you know it was supposed to be a great field with uh, we got you know some nice top ten players. There were no fans in the in the crowd, and it was a different kind of an atmosphere feel. Um, as a result of that, it was reminded me a lot actually of the Paris indoors. A uh, very slow kind of uh, a very slow court actually. I was quite surprised by how slow it was. And uh, no fans in the stadium gave it kind of like this eerie basement type of a vibe with like the mm. green colors kind of jumping at you. So it was a really great visual. But um, yeah, uh, once you got used to the no crowd thing, because we had a lot of great crowds in Australia, especially at the end, um, we were able to see some good tennis. Uh, I did feel like there was a little bit of a hangover letdown from uh, Medvedev, who mm. <laughs> got to the final of the Australian Open, was on this big 20 match winning streak. And then he comes into Rotterdam and uh, you know, if he were to get to the finals, um, he would have been the number two player in the world. And as it stands now, he's actually uh, getting that ranking on March 15th. So that's a big congrats- congratulations for him because it's been almost 16 years since somebody other than the big four has finished, uh, has reached that number two spot. I think the last person to do it was Leighton Hewitt mm-hmm. back in July of uh, 2005. So, But nonetheless, um, there were some expectations on Medvedev and he just um, played kind of a strange match, didn't really... I guess it's a little bit of a hangover and very different conditions as well, very slow. And he was playing a guy in uh, Dusan Lajovic who played a very good match. And, you know, uh, and so it was surprising for him to go out the way he did and he smashed a racket in the process. wasn't really his usual chess master self. Uh, uh, struggled a bit there, but I guess it's it's understandable given the turnaround was so quick. And then you had the same thing kind of happen to um, Alexander Zverev and he lost out early, but then... Um, we got to see some good matches, particularly the Sitsipas matches. Um, I thought were good when I was able to catch up and uh, put a little bit on Twitter and uh, got the highlights going. I, he played a really good match against Hatchinov, who was having a great week. Mm-hmm. Um, came back in the third set. It was a breakdown. And uh, Sitsipas generally plays a lot during this time of the year after the Australian Open. He likes to get his rhythm and reps. He has uh, made several commitments to play a lot of tournaments like Rotterdam and Marseille and Dubai and all these events. Um, and so he's trying to build up. He's Strangely enough, he's actually never won an ATP 500. So he felt like this would be a good opportunity for him to at least get to the final or semis. And then you have, obviously, the big story of the event, um, to kind of summarize it all, was um, Andre Rublev, who was uh, who's on this big streak uh, at the ATP 500 level. He's now won the tournament in Rotterdam um, against Marton Fuksovic in the final. Who, um, who who got there, but um, on Rublev, he's won 20 matches now at the ATP 500 level, and he seems to be racking up these these big wins. I'm, I'm a lot of confidence. He's playing 
um, exceptionally well, winning winning the matches handily. Uh, what really impressed me is his net game against Tsitsipas. He was he was coming in a lot more behind his big forehand. We know he has one of the best forehands on tour, one of the best relentless offensive players. Just four strike tennis home with his um, with his great uh, consistency of level. And so that was impressive that he was able to follow it up and you know make some adjustments, come to the net. He was nineteen for twenty two at the net against Tsitsipas. So. It was great to see that and him finishing off points, working on those things, but at the same time winning and continuing that momentum. And so, yeah, it was. I, I kind of overall I didn't learn as learn that much from it, but mm. it was uh, a lot of great tennis, uh, exciting, uh, good for Fuksovic to get to the final. It was great to see Nishikori playing well again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's had he's had some tough times. Um, Chorich had a good run as well. Borna Chorich. Um, so it was good. It was good to see kind of players that have been out missing for a while and they. I felt like they got their groove going. And same same thing with Andy Murray, actually. He won a match, and then he lost to the eventual champion in Rublev. So nothing to be too ashamed about there. And he played a very competitive first set. He had three break um, points, but it couldn't convert. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. He had three break points in the first uh, in the five-all game, and then he hit two double faults. Um, and was very. what I liked about it is that he came afterwards in press. And, um, you know, instead of saying, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how my level is progressing, and I'm just won eight games against, you know, the number eight player in the world. He didn't look at it that way. And you could see why he's such a champion. And he, he said that, uh, you know, you know, why should I stop playing? Why should I, um, you know, why should I hang up the racket now? Because, because of a few bad losses. I mean, you know, I still, you know, I have nothing. I'm, I mean, you guys may not think I have anything left to prove, but I'm out here giving it, you know, one last go here. And, uh, you know, I'm doing it with one hip essentially. And, it's really, really tough, and these players are playing really well, and he was quite down on himself for just the tennis side of it itself. He said that he wasn't able to convert the, those. He was kind of ruining those missed opportunities, and, you know, you just love to see kind of him show that uh, he's not backing down and, you know, not giving up, and, you know, will look to finish his career on his own terms and whatever that might be, but I thought it was a great step in the right direction for him uh, moving forward, and, you know, we can see some Good results from him in, in best of three sets, I think. I think Grand Slams will be will be tougher uh, mm-hmm. because of the physical physical nature of it, and there's just some things movement wise that he he can't do anymore. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm happy to see him playing really well again. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to unpack from this tournament, starting with Rublev. I think perhaps even more than winning the entire thing, it was great for him to get a win against someone who's ranked higher than he is in the win over Tsitsipas. Although um, Stefanos did have a couple of grueling matches before and he was also playing the doubles. I think that is going to be a huge confidence boost for Rublev because we, we've seen his success in these 500s. He's great in them. He wins the matches he's supposed to win. And so the next step for him is to win a 1,000, go deep in a major, and beat the players who are ranked higher than him. So I think even though this wasn't the best version of Tsitsipas we've seen, Rublev winning is huge for him, and especially winning in the way he did with winning 19 of 22 net points, like you said, Vonch, is going to do wonders for his confidence. I think you also touched on some sort of nice minor Cinderella stories. Like I think it was nice to see Hotchinov challenging a top player again, even though he didn't get over the line. It He's just yeah. been sort of missing in action from his best level from such for such a long time that it was nice to see him sort of duking it out with a top top player even if he didn't come out on top um andre what do you think oh yeah i mean rublev is starting to to feel like um i was thinking about this this week uh it's particularly about him in the sense that like he reminds me a little bit of a ferrer in the sense like 
He's a consistently yes, good yeah. player. Like he plays almost every match with the same intensity and the same ele- same level of like goodness. There's not necessarily like a moment in which he's actually down. It seems obviously Ferrer was a little bit more um control like he wasn't as infuriated as uh as rublev sometimes is mm-hmm. so he seems angry all the time on court um yeah. fair was like a, a lot more calm and you know he could keep himself composed all the times but like he his his levels just like playing incredibly aggressive shots over and over again even though even though the rallies were long his flatter shots and like deep like Ferrer's shots were like honestly Two, two, like two inches from the baseline all the time. It was ridiculous to watch that one. So, but the one thing that was missing a little bit on Ferrer, and I think it misses on the Rublev as well, is the variety. Is like they can, once you can figure out, like, oh yeah, it's just gonna be uh, bashing balls. Like no matter how accurate they are, if you if you have a level of a uh, creativity in your game, like the top players have, like they can figure out a way to like throw him off like a balance and things like that like make sure that his shots don't work as well as they normally would against like lower ranked players so my fear for Rublev is that he's he would have the potential to become like a Ferrer or Davidenko which okay. is or even like Raonic in a sense like who is who would be a, a career high number three if everything falls into place you know what I mean so mm-hmm. they they would have he would have the ability to Maybe reach it and like maybe wins like uh, maybe win like maybe one or two Masters one thousand maybe three or four, um, but that that would be really sad if that's the ceiling of his career. Like I mean, he doesn't drop level, but if he doesn't raise it, it's 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 gonna be tough for him to like become any better. Um, and obviously he's yeah. he's young; it's the beginning of his career. If he's showing this level right now, um, he could obviously have potential to become better and add more more shots to his game his net his net play is really solid his serve is better than Ferrer's and better than Davidenko so that's a plus for him he should be really proud of himself for that um and you need a big serve to to play in these games nowadays like I mean you just look at poor Schwartzman who has a complete game in everything lacks the serve he's gonna lack the the firepower to close in matches at critical moments um or save breakpoints when they're they're important too, right? Um, yeah, so yeah, I like I, what I you think, said about yeah. So yeah, I feel yeah, like in terms of Rublev winning a five hundred, it's it's the type of thing that doesn't impress me anymore. <laughs> it's a I know he can beat players like Lajovic or um, Chardy and Fuchovic, but I want to see him beating. Uh, and he did beat Tsitsipas, but you you could see that Tsitsipas was not exactly his his better self, like when he was against Nadal. Um, but I want to see like a big match between Tsitsipas and Zverev or um, um, even Nadal or just like making making him seem seem to push them to like a um, a first setter in a Grand Slam or um, mm-hmm. a final set in a in a Masters One Thousand. Um, you know things like that. This is this is this is for me the next step to Rublev. How am I going to raise my level so that I can actually compete with those guys and not like feed my rankings? through uh winning a crap ton of a uh, lower like lower tier tournaments even though 500s are not i'm not exactly lower tier the there's two pretty big tournaments lots of players would dream to win one um but a player like, a player like rublev he should be dreaming of winning at least the masters on thousands and mm-hmm. having a solid goal of like trying to reach finals and grand slams or semifinals which he did but consistently doing so. So that's my my thing about Rublev and in in, in Rotterdam. I want to see more. Yeah. That's the thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you, you alluded to the Ferrer and Davidenko comparisons, and I couldn't agree with you more. Just the way he goes shot for shot against players who are you know much stronger than him, like Fuksovic, physically looks like he's been chopping trees. He's that strong physically, and Rublev is just going toe to toe with him, ground stroke after ground stroke, and the forehand, the the way he can accelerate on that shot. I mean, from the ad court, the way he just loves to go inside out, inside out, inside out, like five times, and then just boom goes inside in, mm-hmm. and it's just. You mentioned the variety, but it's like not many players possess that variety in a best of three set format. You can employ it effectively and, you know, break down Rublev's offense. Mm -hmm. And I think um, in a slam, you start to see those vulnerabilities a little bit more when he plays these top guys. Like you mentioned, a Tsitsipas in a Grand Slam quarterfinal is going to be much different than than a tired Tsitsipas who's been playing six hours and a lot of doubles uh, and not at his best. And even then, he was able to push it to make it close and, you know, almost get a set. So I think the next step, you're absolutely right, is a Masters 1000. I think actually he was hurt um, by not being able to show what he can do because he, you know, most of the Masters 1000s were not played last year. And he's really come into form mm-hmm. sort of the last year and year and a half uh, during the pandemic. So it'll be interesting. So I, I definitely think that's the next step. I kind of see similarly to you that I could foresee about two to three Masters 1000, maybe a Grand Slam final. Uh, that kind of a thing, and maybe maybe one day I think he can win one, one or two when the big three retire. Hmm. That's kind of how I see his, see his career going, and of course, many years in the top ten, many years in the hmm. in the top eight. But he has to work on the variety, and you know, making himself uh, more ad- adapting himself um, physically, and also, you know, he will develop physically, but also just like adding those. Those uh, those little elements to his game, whether it be slices, a good um, transition game, which he's been working on, and so I'm interested to see see how that develops. But overall, uh, a great week, and I guess he just keeps going. He's gonna play in Doha again, yeah. <laughs> so he, he keeps on moving along. But I guess we should uh, hit on. I, I actually do want to mention while we're on the golden swing, just a little bit. Um, there's a great story about two brothers that have done really well now in back to back weeks in both Cordoba and Buenos Aires. And it's the Sarundalo brothers. And I hadn't heard of them at all, basically until this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or last week, actually, when I found out that he was ranked the first one, which was um, actually last week. It was played in Cordoba. He got all the way to the final, and he won the title over uh, Ramos Benulas. His name is Juan Manuel Sarundalo. He's this lefty with this big, like, clay court game, huge, like, forehand, like, typical kind of Spanish lefty kind of game. Although he's Argentinian, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, so pretty much made for the clay courts yeah. and this time of the year. And here he actually reminded me a lot of if you guys have ever watched a Federico Del Bonis play. Oh yeah. He reminds me a lot of that. He has a really like high ball toss and really large like take back. I don't know how it's gonna work on indoor courts, but it, it was a great achievement for him to go through qualities. He was ranked three hundred thirty five in the world and he came back and he won like eight matches. And I didn't know this, but he had a brother who was also in the draw. And he, he he went on to get to the final this week, and he also beat Albert Ramos uh, Vinola yeah. 6-2 in the third. And he, he got all the way to the final, and eventually Schwartzman just killed him in the final because he had no yeah. energy left, and Schwartzman is, a lot, is just a better player. Yeah. But uh, it was nice for Diego also to win the title finally in his own country. This is the first time he's ever won in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And also and the first time this... an Argentinian won in Buenos Aires in 13 years, apparently. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's a great story because you never see like two brothers back to back weeks make a final like that. Yeah, I think that's, the last time that happened incredible. was actually the Zverev brothers because Zverev got to the final, won Rome in 2017, and then 
there was Misha, his uh, younger brother, who got to the final. Of Misha, I, I think Misha's older, before. actually. Misha's older. Misha's yeah. like thirty something at, at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I think I missed up older. Yeah, yeah. but yes, Zverev was twenty when he won Rome. Mm. Yeah, and his older brother is ten years older than him, so he was thirty. And he 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 got to the final of Geneva. I lost to Bobrinka, but uh, you know this was this was special because they had to qualify and you know just different circumstances in February and Golden Swing. Mm-hmm. So that was a great story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's so awesome. Yeah, that was that was it. That was it on the Ben side basically for this week. Do you guys have anything to add? Yeah, uh, ju- just a quick note on Rublev. I think you guys had a fantastic yeah. assessment on him. I think the phrase that popped into my head was that his stock is high, but I don't think it's really gotten any higher after this week. I don't think he showed us anything new. And I think his ceiling, like you said, Andre, his ceiling is the issue. I think he's shown that he can maintain a high level, but I'm yet to see a performance from him where he takes down a top player or just blows someone else off the court that makes me think, okay, this guy is winning majors. So I do think that next step for him is to beat a top player or make a really deep run in one of the biggest tournaments on tour. So that's it for me on the man. I hmm. I would say just on that he he really impressed me with his net game. Like he was yeah, that, that, really coming that's in a that, lot more. That, that, and was, that was finishing off points quicker. Really seen. Yeah. yeah, and so so that was something that was impre- that impressed me a lot because you know twenty two times to come to the net against Tsitsipas he was able to find openings and you know if he had stayed back on some of those rallies I think even a tired Tsitsipas might have been able to eke out a set and maybe even snatch a win. So it was. I'll tell you what, one thing that impresses me in Rublev is the fact that he's capable of hitting 212k uh, service uh, services, like for serves. Yeah. I, I, for could, service I would not be able to see that coming from, from that guy, but he, he constantly does that. He's mm-hmm. got a lot of power, so that, yeah. that that's one thing you cannot take away from him and obviously make him himself a very dangerous player because of his consistency. Like Ferrer was, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Ferrer and Davidenko. Like he... You you don't like to look at him in your side of the draw, but it's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, if you're a top five player, at least. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but but I agree. Uh, I think Rublev possesses power that um, that Ferrer never did. So, and yeah. that's a great thing in his favor. Yeah, and he's starting to do very well against uh, players with one-handed backhands, like yeah. Tsitsipas and mm-hmm. Team and Federer. He struggles a lot with um, players who can really absorb his pace and kind of redirect the backhand down the line, mm-hmm. and you know who can stay with him physically shot for shot and they also serve pretty big like Zverev and Medvedev those kind of players I think that's the next step mm, yeah um, for, s- for something I used to think about Rublev or that I often think is that he doesn't take his backhand down the line often enough given how solid it is but he did a pretty good job of that in the final against Fusevich he he had two nice passes backhand down the line one one in a rally off an inside out forehand that caught Fusevich totally on the wrong side of the court so that was really mm-hmm. nice to see and that's going to make him even more imposing from the baseline if he can keep that up Mm-hmm. I think so too. And his backhand is pretty solid. He's able to trade cross court really mm-hmm. nicely. But I think that's about her depth yeah. and yeah. pace. And yeah, it's not easy to to get the variety. Yeah. Not easy to. Yeah, the one thing that I expect from him in terms of that variety, at least for now, would be to try to add a little bit more angles, like mm-hmm. um, hitting yeah. some forehands, like taking off the pace of it, and just like like rolling it like a little bit more to the side, so he can actually try to finish mm-hmm. the point, like with one of his big inside-out forehands or even a, a backhand. So I feel like it's That's a, a possibility point. that he, he could explore. And that would potentially see him winning like a more more big like bigger tournaments and being a, a bit of a threat. I don't know how much he, he, he'd be able to pull off like drop shots and like um, lobs and things like that. And just a variety in that, in that side of like even like slices. So that remains to be seen. But, but again, he's young. So we'll... Mm-hmm. 
he's an exciting player to, to watch. It's but that's the thing. He's, he's been consistently the same. So exciting to wait on him to develop a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think angles is a great point. Uh, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That's uh, yeah. That would that would actually separate him. I think yeah. that's more reasonable to think than drop shots. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. he already has the really strong ground game, so I think this is much more achievable for him than adding like some super great touch at the net or drop shots or yeah. slices. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess uh, if we move on to to Doha, I guess we had yeah. uh, to Doha this week. Yeah. I guess just before that, um, should we hit on the woman? Yeah, no, yeah, Doha. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, that's what I was thinking with Doha. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 not yeah. Doha, not because there's also Doha this that's week. That's what I was saying. It's, it was confusing. <laughs> it's confused, I, was, yeah. I was right. <laughs> it wasn't just me. It is confusing. <laughs> it is definitely confusing. You're, you're not the only one. <laughs> but yeah, um, Doha this week mentioned WTA 500 there, and you know we, we got to see some great names uh, like Kapitova and Muguruza. Muguruza, obviously. Muguruza has been playing well, basically, mm. since the start of 2020. And most wins on the WCH were so far this year. Oh, really? I think yeah. so. So she's been, she's been playing well, and she's... What's missing is that next step, winning a final, and mm-hmm. you know, closing out the big matches. But she's been playing... She's played consistently well. She's something like 25-8 and eight since the start of 2020, and you know, made the final of Australia. Obviously, we know that one game that hurt her in the third set against Kennan. And then she's played well since the restart. She lost a tough match at the French Open, but then she got to another final in before Australia lost to Ash Barty there. And then obviously two match points against Osaka and yeah. then a great run this week to the final. So she's playing, she's overall, she's playing very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I guess a good result for her, but disappointing the way it finished in the in the final with a, with a one-sided scoreline against Petra Kvitova. Mm-hmm. I guess what really impressed me, what struck me most is um, not that Petra Kvitova won, won a title because I think uh, just because there's been so much depth in the game we've kind of forgotten about players like her like Kvitova who can kind of come come for like a week and then go for another week and you know lose first round but then they have great results like especially indoors and on the hard courts and on grass she's won Wimbledon twice so she's a formidable threat um, when her game is feeling well and she's timing the ball well Mm-hmm. then there's not much you can really do because she hits great angles. She has a great uh, first strike. She she moves well. She she was hitting the slice really well this week. She has she has all the ingredients that, that you're looking for. And yet it seems like she's inconsistent, but she's winning so many titles. And she's she peaks at the right times. Mm-hmm. And this was a good week to peak. And it was impressive because you would think like it's very windy, especially the last two matches. She played in extreme wind. And she handled that a lot better than Muguruza did. And she was um, really pushing Muguruza, using the angles, using her variety, which you don't normally associate with Petra, but she was slicing, keeping up, giving the balls a little bit more spin um, and really playing a smart kind of style. And I think uh, Kavitova was able to just roll through the field, essentially. Lost just one set mm-hmm. uh, on the way through and... It was a great week for players like Pagula and uh, Azarenka as well to get to the semis. I think she had a good win over Svitolina when she was hurt in the quarters. Yeah. She had a back injury, but then she pulled through and, and won. And probably that Svitolina, that probably reflects badly on Svitolina because yeah. she didn't really adjust and didn't really do the kind, didn't really take advantage of that. But uh, it was a good effort from her. And then, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to 
see the the match of the tournament was probably um, Sabalenka and Muguruza. Hmm. They played a great match in the third round, and that was a, a match that unfortunately had to be a third round because of the way the rankings are right now. But uh, Mugur- uh, Muguruza did very well to come back from a breakdown in the third set, and it was a exactly a powerful power kind of Grand Slam semifinal final type match, but in the in an early stage. So that I thought would really help Muguruza, but then she had that walkover over Azarenka, mm-hmm. so I wonder if that kind of played a factor and she lost a little bit of rhythm. But um, yeah, overall, a great week for Petra, who remains very, very solid in big events. She's won 28 titles in her career. It's incredible. Lost just 10 finals, <laughs> and she's winning like big titles. You know, mm-hmm. Masters 1000, she's won eight of them, and she's racking up 500s and you know, you can never really count her out. <laughs> so it was I'm excited to see her. how she does in uh, at Wimbledon, especially. Yeah. Later this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, and all of these players that I just mentioned are actually playing again this week. <laughs> in uh, this time, it's Dubai. Dubai, which is yeah. actually a, which is actually a one thousand, but mm. it honestly doesn't matter one thousand or five hundred <laughs> because these they're the same. It's the same field essentially. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I I think you made some great points. I think Muguruza, even though she lost in the final, had a pretty good week for the most part. Even though she's without a title this year, she's getting a lot of wins. The results for the most part are with her. And so I think that these tournaments, even if like the frustration of not getting a title notwithstanding will build her confidence, I think the final was a little bit closer than the score Muguruza was in. Both of Kvitova's won-all service games in the first and second set. but yeah, The first two sets were quite tight. And Muguruza had yeah. break points. Yeah, she had two break points in, at one all in the second set, I think. But yeah, Kvitova just has so much firepower, especially when you give her time. She she doesn't just hit angles. She can hit like loopy angles. She can sweep these hard, flat angles and just cr- swipe the ball right past you. And she did plenty of that yeah. off both forehand and backhand. So it was, a, it was a really, really great performance from her. And I'm excited to see what she does at Wimbledon as well, Andre, when she plays this kind of tennis it really makes you wonder what she can do with the majors if she plays at this level or even a little bit below this level i think um touching on what you said about the walkover revenge i think you never want to walk over in the semifinals and that might have disrupted muguruza's rhythm i think you always want a little bit of a tune-up before you're gonna face probably your toughest match in the tournament uh it didn't happen here for kvidba but the final tends to be the most difficult match so little bit of bad luck there and a shame that Azarenka had to withdraw as well because I think that could have been a great match but taking nothing away from Kvitova she had a spectacular week yeah I mean sadly I wasn't really much able to watch uh, this tournament I watched two matches which were uh, Sakari versus Muguruza which is Mm. complete domination like it's not that Sakari was playing badly but just Muguruza was just like hitting she wouldn't miss very much in mean, that type of match is is not very good for for anybody like it, playing a player who is being aggressive and not missing is definitely a nightmare so mm-hmm. yeah and sakari just wouldn't find much of a she just couldn't the the, the shots were just going too fast and onto to her her toes like the shots were deep so she wasn't really finding much of a a position to be aggressive but she did produce some really nice shots and it was probably a win that was really good for for Muguruza because she just lost to to Sakari earlier this year mm-hmm. uh, in straight sets as well so um got a few really good in that in that regard and the other match that I watched was uh the one that you mentioned Spitalina and uh Azrenka. 
And I don't understand what Svitolina was doing. It's getting um, every ball down this middle. It, it it was so um she was so scared. It was it was almost like she got nervous, like, wait a minute, she's she's uh she's injured, I cannot lose. And then she got so tight and nervous that she ended up losing. It was as Renko was barely moving, you could see that like at some points in the match she did uh, pull off some uh, some 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 gets like she would like some some digs that she got the ball back in like from a from a tough position but that was when she was like almost sure to win the game right so she was in a good position yeah she played a style that's like uh she played not to lose instead of to win yeah she she did not take any any opportunities to like be better than her opponent and azarenka ended up winning and it's a funny thing about uh azarenka not to like take take the spotlight too much of a kubitova uh, from winning and Mugrusa as well, but like um, a couple of months ago, like back in Cincinnati or even before that, Azarenka was not being the player that we would be like, oh yeah, she's definitely gonna win this match. <laughs> even she was fully healthy, it was more likely that she, that we were thinking that she was not the favorite at all. And uh, now to be injured and winning a match just shows just how far she has come, um, both uh, like and and from her comeback and that. Uh, I think she's there to to challenge one more time for the big titles, like soon enough. I think she she recovers from that um, injury soon enough. Um, we're gonna see a a big player in Nazarenka, um, maybe again in the U.S. Open on hard courts. Um, I don't know if she's playing this week again uh, in Dubai, but uh, no, she pulled out. Yeah, she's I would imagine so, right? But yeah, I feel like she yeah. she's gonna be challenging for for big titles again very mm-hmm. soon. She's she's got the level and confidence, I think, for this one. Yeah, I agree. Azarenka has been spectacular uh, at the end of 2020, and she had a good week here as well. I was I was going to ask you guys, what do you think of Svitolina and Pliskova falling straight sets in the same round quarterfinals? Pliskova lost a 6-3, 6-1 to Pagula, who's in amazing form right now. She's she's one of the um, hottest players on tour form-wise right now, And but I think Pliskova was the second seed. And I feel like if if you're Svitolina or Pliskova, there's there's no shame in losing to Azarenka or Pagula. They're they're really informed. They're great players. But I think you just can't be losing matches that lopsidedly, I guess, because and I think these players have the level to win to win majors. But when you see results like this, it it doesn't make you too optimistic about their chances. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, the thing is, I I saw. Pushkova actually squeaked out a really nice three-set win. Yeah, Previous yeah, round over Anz Jabbar, and I was very surprised, actually, that she dug so deep and pulled that out because she's been on a, in a bit of a slump, and Jabbar is a player who can cause a lot of players' problems with mm-hmm. over-ID, and exactly the kind of player that you, if you were to pick out, would give Pushkova trouble, it would be Jabbar. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. But that she was able to squeak through seven, five and a third. I think it's possible physically she didn't have much left. I didn't see the Pegola match to really comment on that. But we do also feel like they're capable of, uh, you know, fighting harder and doing it more, especially... I'd say um, Pliskova sometimes she has these really off days and there's no plan B mm-hmm. um, when she when her plan A is not working but just serve big and hit big uh, I think her movement can get exposed I think she's um, not willing to adapt quick enough sometimes and next thing you know it's just hard and it's tough to come back and keep on you know facing those same questions in the press conferences and maybe it's getting to her a little bit mentally you never know. Maybe it's also the bubble life, and there could be a, a number of reasons. But the point is that her window is her window to win majors is closing soon, mm-hmm. uh, with so many young players coming up. That uh, you know, I, I would never count her out just yet because she's only twenty seven, twenty eight. She's still kind of in her prime, but it's just it goes to show just how much depth there is in the women's game. That a result like push, like Pagula beating. A, a former Grand Slam finalist and winner of 16 WTA titles, six three six one is no longer surprising. Yeah, you know. Hmm. So, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna disagree only with the 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 window closing for Pliskova. Like at, at first when I, when you said that like a couple of months ago, like when we were talking about it, like doing um, pre Australian Open tournaments, I was sort of on the same page as you. But like now that I think about it, it's like she's only twenty seven, twenty eight, and if we're thinking that Muguruza still has chances of winning in uh, in Grand Slams. It's very, very like it's it's not a it's not an age problem or like a level problem. Yeah, that's, I meant holding, it, I meant it more that's holding Pliskova back. Yeah, I think I, I think it, we'll uh, just a, to clarify. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Just to clarify that I think physically her window is there, like for the next five, five, six years. I think yeah. it's not a question of physicality or or age or like you said, like Muguruza. Like I mean, Azarenka is like thirty two and still playing some of her best tennis. But I would say. I would say it's more about just I just don't see her making the adjustments That's true. that need to be made. Yeah, yeah I was I was gonna say uh, I think yeah. the biggest problem, like I think um, Pliskova and Svitolina have different problems when it comes to winning majors. Uh, Pliskova, yeah. I think she's just very stubborn. I think she has problems um, trying to uh, um, add stuff to his game to her to her game um, to to make her make it better. Um, adding the the plan B that you mentioned very often, adding just kind of longer rallies to her to her play, just trying to be a little bit more consistent with that, just kind of like um, powering through matches in the sense of like just kind of pushing through when things are not going well, um, which is commendable that she did it like uh, in, in the, the round prior to uh, to to the one that she lost uh, against Jabbar. Um, so I think it's it's good that she's doing that. But I think she she needs to have the. I don't. It just doesn't seem that like Pliskova has the champion mentality in which she'd be like, I really want this. And obviously, I don't know. Like I, I'm not even close to knowing uh, whether this is true or not. But it it's just that her attitude on court doesn't speak. I really want to win this major title. Like when when she goes on to like a Grand Slam, she seems to treat it like just another tournament that she could just lose and just kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. Next week there's another one. And yeah. this is this is what um, 
bothers me a little bit in terms of how she approaches the the the, the matches. And again, like I, there's no way for me to know if this is true or not, but it's just the the, the feeling that I get from watching her play and watching her lose, especially because when she loses, that's that's the attitude that sticks with me. It's like, why didn't she? She seemed to not even be trying that hard to to pull that off. And Zetalina, the problem with her, I think it's the Azarenka match just showed it. She she just seems to be not strong enough mentally. She just seems to be so um, focused on not missing. Um, Too not, passive sometimes. Yeah, she, she just tries not to beat herself instead of beating her opponent. And so it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's... It's sad to watch because she has such a great game when she's on and she can mm. she she runs fast she she has incredible defense she can hit attacking shots uh, she's not like a fully defensive passive player but she can become one and that's what I think is her problem to winning a major is that she um ends up being you know like one of those players that has a lot of talent but just doesn't seem to have it in their heads to to yeah. be able to to, come, to push through and and win like um not necessarily that she doesn't want it, but she just can't seem to cope with the pressure, and she succumbs to the the mental um, pressure that comes with it. So Thank you you nailed it with Pushkova, actually. Yeah. I, I, I too, I just don't see the the hunger or the drive, and even when she loses, I just don't see her like that disappointed or that willing to, you know, realize like this is actually a big problem. This is becoming a trend, and you know, mm-hmm. I need to address this. It kind of just seems like okay, next week, here we go again. Yeah. Uh, new tournament, new beginning. Mm. I can make this better. And look, I mean, she's had a great career, and we don't know her personally. And you know, you're but you're right in saying that. I think we can criticize her for being too stubborn. It's too. It's you, you see it on the court time and time again, and you feel like, why is she not doing something different? Why is she not going back to the to the drawing board? And I guess, um, I guess once she gets her rhythm back, and maybe. Because she's known for being very consistent. So I want to see some of that consistency first at tour level events, and then I want to see it transfer over when it, when both of them, when Swedlina and Pushkova play a fourth round or a quarterfinal match. And they can raise the stakes because we know they're capable. You know, Pushkova got to the finals of the US Open. She beat both Serena and Venus mm-hmm. en route to do so. And I think it's it might be just that the baggage is getting too big or, you know, it's just... It could be for all the reasons that we, we talked about, but it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, if they can take that next step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, really, think, I, I agree with some of the things that both of you said. I think for Svitolina, the way I feel is not... So I think some players really struggle to find their best level, but they know that their best level can beat anyone. And I'm I'm not sure Svitolina believes that. I think maybe she could trust her her game a little bit more and believe that if she plays her best, it's going to beat someone. I think I think sometimes she believes that the other player is better than her, and that's a and that's a dangerous feeling to have on a tennis court. I think you need to be confident, and she struggles with that sometimes. And and with Pliskova, I I would like to see a little bit more fire. I guess I think she lost at the Australian Open in a really disheartening way. She was up 5-0 in the second set when she was down a set and ended up losing that set 5-7. Set and I, if I remember correctly in press, I don't think her answers revealed that she was particularly devastated by that. Yeah. And I think I think what you want to see from a player is that they are really affected. Like, I never want that to happen to me again. So I would love to see a loss like that sort of jar her into really, really 
committing and put, and leaving everything on the court. And I think I'm I'm yet to totally see that from her. Yeah, I think Pliskova's press conference is for me the the worst, the most disappointing one because every time she loses, she 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 just exhales this this feeling of uh, ugh, here we go again, having to face the same questions about how I lost, and it doesn't matter because whatever. This is this is just how it feels. Like it's not like she's. Um, I mean, I think those press conferences are worse than, say, for example, like one that a player. Um, I don't know, cries or whatever. Just, I don't know. I feel like those, the, the, as as you said, like she just doesn't seem to to care. And uh, when they're indifferent like that, it's for me the worst type of uh, press conference that you can give, because it literally is, t- is telling the world, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you guys understand, but I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, so it's. I agree with you. She needs a little bit more fire, in in that regard. And I never thought about Zulina that way, so that's interesting. I'm probably going to be watching her matches a little bit more with that in mind, like maybe yeah. seeing if there's a confidence problem. It's like uh, uh, maybe she doesn't believe in herself as much. And that reminded me of uh, uh, something that um, Steve Flink told us, um, yeah. me and Vange, uh when we were doing the um, the podcast about the book, uh, Pete Sampras' Witness re- Revisited. Mm-hmm. Um uh, he said that the biggest difference between Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras is that um, when they were they went on to, they went on to court court especially against each other, um, Sampras knew he was going to win that match, mm-hmm. and Agassi was hoping he could win the match. And oh, yeah. I think there's a little bit of the difference between uh, a champion, a Grand Slam champion. Obviously, Agassi is a massive champion, but like uh, on a on on certain on some level you could apply that to Svitolina as well. Like maybe she mm. just goes into the matches like kind of hoping she will have a chance of like beating a player who she believes is better than her. And yeah. Yeah, I, that I think sort from, of like struck me a little bit of that. I, that I think from the sound of things she maybe started to hope when she saw Azarenka was injured. Instead of sort of just going for the jugular and attacking and trying to move her around as much as possible. So I would like to see a, a little bit more complete self-belief from her um and and i'll be keeping an eye on that in her future matches as well mm-hmm. yeah real quick somebody you should be keeping an eye on in the future because i think mm-hmm. her prospects are very very bright yeah. there's this 17 year old girl from denmark who i watched uh yesterday who i watched uh yesterday i watched the highlights of her final uh, she was playing victoria Golovic in the final it was uh, it was a lower tier event it was like a 250 with wta 250 in leon but it was very impressive because she stormed through the whole field. Clara Tossen from Denmark, 17 years of age. I watched her beat Jen Brady at the French Open, 9-7 in the third set. Mm. Uh, and she basically hit Brady off the court in the last few games of that, that match. Brady obviously coming off the great US Open run. And to see her qualify and then basically win five matches in a row, knock out the number one seed in straight sets, who uh, Alexandrova who uh, had won the most number of indoor matches the last two or three years on the WTA Tour. And her, her game is complete. Like you, you can watch her game. She has tremendous power from the forehand and backhand. And when it's peaking, it's, it's great. But she also has a great serve. She moves the... She has great variety as well. She's working on it. And it was a great week for her. So I guess it just speaks to we need to see more. But... Uh, Somebody to keep an eye out, along with your Coco Goffs and 
Hmm. The rest of the other young women coming up. Yeah, I, I'm looking and at the. I, I'm looking at the list of players who she beat um, this past week and um, at the Lion Open, and it looks and it's impressive. She beat uh, Tamea Babos, uh, Kamala Georgie, so it looks like she does very well against big hitters. And then uh, the Georgie impressed me really well because yeah, she six, was not at all six, three, six, by, yeah. by her power, and she can hit a big ball. Yeah. Georgie, it, and and it looks like Georgie didn't have a great day, eight double faults, but she she only reached break point once in the entire match. So it looks like Tawson defended her serve very well. Um, and then she beat Paula Bedosa semifinals. And then, um, so yeah, the, um, really excited to watch her going forward. Yeah. All right, folks. But now we got to talk about the really big story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sorry Which about is... everybody else, but uh, <laughs> you guys know what's coming. <laughs> but we've waited 13 months for this, guys. And yeah. that is to have Roger Federer back on the tennis court after two knee surgeries. Here he is, and uh, you know, basically every every it seemed like every time Federer was going to do a press conference, like this his first press conference, um, I feel like that was the whole storyline what that was going on. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was paying attention to what else was happening, you know, at that point because they wanted to see videos of him practicing and they wanted to see how he kind of looks. Uh, you know, so much so much has happened and he hasn't been around really the last the last thirteen months or so, but. You get the feeling that he is super excited to be back. Mm-hmm. You can read his press conferences. It's very classic Federer. It's like, it's like sort of putting the expectations down, but then, you know, hyping it back up again. It's like, uh, it's like the exact, you get to see both versions of like hyping it up mm-hmm. and also playing down his expectations of mm-hmm. like, these are more information tournaments for me to see where I'm at with my knee. And he talked about how the second knee surgery was re- really debilitating for him actually and that uh, he thought everything was going very smoothly because the original plan was to get back to Wimbledon get back by Wimbledon and he announced that in February so you thought mm-hmm. okay he's probably going to be back by Wimbledon and you know maybe things will work out smoothly but then obviously the pandemic came and then he had major complications and eventually he lost all of his muscles on the knee and he was on crutches for two weeks and he basically had trouble he said he would go out for bike rides with his kids or do basic thing activities and the goal wasn't even just he never thought about really retiring from the sport but he thought that i that i still have something left within me that maybe you know even if i don't play any tennis i want to be able to be healthy uh whether it be for my kids or going skiing or going with my friends so he talked about that as well and then he talked about his expectations which is really just get a match or two get going and obviously you got to take that with a pinch of salt, mm-hmm. win a match or two and things like that, because obviously we know he said the same kind of things four years ago, and then he went on that big run. But yeah. I think he's aware that everything that comes from this point onwards is just leading up to the one main goal, which is the summer, really, which is Wimbledon and the Olympics and then U.S. Open stretch, even though he hasn't won U.S. Open in like 13 years. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, and then he said, when he was asked about retirement, he said that, I'm not thinking about that right now, but it is something that I will have to reevaluate in the autumn, is what he mm-hmm. said, and which which I guess may which I guess really makes sense because mm-hmm. I think these next six weeks. And then he mentioned also adjusting to the new quarantines and the masks and the traveling and his family and how that how that went. And then he was asked a bunch of questions about uh, the records of his being broken, and he mentioned that he was in a very classic kind of federal way that he's you know ha- happy mm-hmm. that he was the guy that set those records. Mm-hmm. And that he was the one chasing Pete Sampras and that it meant a lot more to, it means a lot more to them than it does to me at this point. And, you know, that I'm, 
that I'm basically their measuring stick. And so mm. I can be proud of that, that at least, you know, the records are there to be broken. And I never really thought about it that way. I never really thought that like, yeah, I mean, someday, whether we think about it or not, somebody, whether it be a hundred years from now, will start, will eventually break one of these important records, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I think just that it came so quickly, right? After Sampras and then now, you know, three guys have passed him. It just, it really made you think and, you know, just... It's just so nice again to see him back in a draw, and you know, obviously he's playing the winner of Shardy and Evans, and he's, he has a buy in the first round, and so I think we'll we'll really be able to see his, you know, how he looks. I think the biggest thing is just his movement, and I, I I'm not even looking so much for results or predicting mm-hmm. what's going to happen. I just want to see, I just want to see him back again. That's kind of that's kind of the thing. It's just excitement and giddiness. He expresses that childlike kind of giddiness that just makes you go, oh, that's what we've been missing for the last. Mm-hmm. Year or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and videos of him practicing have been pretty few and far between, but one came out recently where his movement and foot speed actually looked very good, and I agree with Yvonne, yeah. I won't be keeping an eye out for his results so much so as, because I think some rust is inevitable, he hasn't played a competitive match in 13 months, maybe like 13 and a half, but... But what I'll be looking for is, like, is he moving, is he getting to balls, is he hanging from the baseline? And yeah. and if he's doing those things, I think this tournament will be a success for him, even if he loses in the first round. And it's just great to see him back, because it has been such a long time since we last saw him play. He's always very exciting to watch. He he always comes up with a couple hot shots during a match, and he's a legend. So it's it's just great to have him back on tour. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I find crazy about about Federer is that he's he's 40 now. He's If he's not 40, he's turning 40, 40 in August. really soon. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the last player that I remember being 40 um, and that I was incredibly impressed by it was uh, Fabrice Santoro. <laughs> he played until like very, very late in his career. And I was like, holy crap, how is this guy like 38 and playing tennis? He must be exhausted mm-hmm. like every after every point or something like that. I was just so impressed by it. Especially because back then, what I'm talking about is 2008-9, right? So... Um, at that time, um, players were retiring at age 30 and 31 yeah. at best. So, like, Fabrice Santoro was definitely um, ancient times uh, by the time that he was retiring at that time. And now, now we get, like, Djokovic at 33 and 4. Uh, That's a great name uh, drop, by the way, Fabrice yeah. Santoro. Yeah. yeah. So, Shout yeah, out to him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember him because it struck me for for many many reasons. Not only the not only the age, but the double handed forehand as well, which I was always thought it was very very interesting. Um, so um, to see Federer back in play is always a joy, and it's definitely seeing like watching him talking about retirement. I think it's it hurts a little bit because it's, he he was he defined an era right of players like like. Like Djokovic and Nadal have defined essentially the last ten years. Yeah. Federer definitely defined a lot of the two thousands and a little bit of a even this past decade as well. So mm-hmm. um when he retires is definitely gonna be um for me at least, I guess. Like when uh, uh I guess the only comparison that I can find is like for example when I finished the Harry Potter books. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, So what now? Like what am I gonna do with my life? Federer mm-hmm. isn't playing anymore. <laughs> it's almost like tennis is over. No, there's no next chapter, but it's it, it, there will be, and there will be great players afterwards. But I definitely want to enjoy a lot. Uh, I, I want to savor this last chapter mm-hmm. of uh, this yeah. Swiss Maestro. Uh, and regardless of whether he's the best player of all time or not, like I, I couldn't care less about it. He's just played so beautifully, and 
I definitely am excited to see him going um, further in tournaments again and watching him play and produce some like of his crazy magic and like mm-hmm. drop shots and returns. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just seeing classic Federer play. And um, the one thing that you, you said once that struck me a little bit was in, uh, when uh, you said that uh, he was looking to be just healthy for um, regular activities with his family. And I was, immediately I thought of Andy Murray and I was like, yeah, oh my too. goodness gracious. I mean, his, his problems were definitely less less intense yeah. than like a metal hip um but regardless right like at his age and he's planning to come back on tour i'm even like a little bit divided like maybe i i i think that i want him to win another wimbledon and even maybe another us open and, and the tokyo olympics the, the dream run for roger federer to finish his career would be like wimbledon golden mat- gold medal us open that's it like <laughs> he, if he could do that Goodbye. at yeah, age exactly. 40 like i i think he would be beyond legendary honestly but yeah yeah it, it would just it's just a joy as you guys are saying like i don't want to jump the gun as well mm-hmm. it's, it's just his first match in 13 months in a 250 so yeah yeah um let's take uh baby steps at this point yeah so. and and i don't want to get too far ahead of myself either but something yeah. i think that's great about federer is he's he's great at getting over bad results and sort of reading into the good good results i heard some people say that if he had won the 2019 Wimbledon, maybe he would have hung up the racket right there. And I don't think that's what he would have done. I think he would have gone, I just won Wimbledon. Why can't I? There's no reason why I can't defend next year. So I think if if he does get good results, that's going to inspire him to stay on the tour even longer. And so, that, yeah. so that's why I'm hoping that he really has some success uh, in, in 2021, um, in the summer or in the end of it, that inspires him to stay on tour for a bit longer. Because yeah. I'm, I just can't wait to see what he has left to show us in in this last chapter of his career yeah definitely in the last chapter hopefully we'll get to see him get the nice ovation that he deserves you know from the crowd oh yeah it would you know hopefully we'll have the crowds back and we can see the full maestro and Mm-hmm. Flow, it, it, it would be incredible maybe if he played his last tournament at the u.s open with a full crowd or something like that I, I still remember i didn't see it live but andre agassi uh his match against Baghdadis at the 2006 u.s open uh, that uh they weren't sure late in the match if it would be his last or not and they were just screaming their hearts out for him i federer deserves that which would be so yeah. that'd just be great to see yeah. yeah and also the other thing i wanted to hit on is just when he came back last time four years ago there was this liberation in him there was this mm-hmm. like freedom of like for watching a four or five year old hold a racket for the first time, it was that kind of like just, just he just let it go completely, and obviously that's easier said than done because in, you surprise yourself in practice, but then you go out on the matches and you're down break point five all in the fifth set, you can't replicate that at all, mm-hmm. um in in any situation. So I think if you can get that kind of freedom back, he can be so dangerous, just because there's not many players on the tour who who play like him, and you know especially everyone that you know, isn't a Novak or a Rafa, you know, I mean, to come up against them. And I think it's going to be very dangerous. He's still going to be very dangerous. And he, he wouldn't have lost that, uh, any of his skills. I don't, I don't think even if he, he's a guy that even if he doesn't train, you know, five hours a week or something, you know, it's still all there pretty much. And he wouldn't be showing up if he's not at least somewhat close to his best. Yeah. So I think we will see a really good level for him. And I think, you know, Wimbledon is the time. At the same time, you don't want to put all the pressure on mm-hmm. Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think it's going to be interesting to see how much does he really play because he does say that he's going to play Doha and Dubai, but then he has a month off to really train yeah. and work and get even stronger and more explosive and fast. And then he, he kind of mentioned, maybe I'll play, I'll just pick and choose, you mm-hmm. know, maybe I'll just play Madrid, maybe I'll only play Rome, yeah. maybe not the French. But the main goal is still 
all right, Wimbledon, mm-hmm. here we go. Exactly. You know, I, and, and Olympics. Yeah, I, and I think something that Fed fans and everyone in general really can take solace in is that he did push back his comeback several times. So I think the fact that he is coming back now should tell you that he is ready. And so e- yeah. even if we don't see a great level from him, I think he should be healthy at least. And yeah. and I agree with you. I think Wimbledon is the big one for him, probably even more so than the Olympics. So that'll th- that'll be telling. Yeah, I think yeah. he did say in uh, in one of his uh, interviews. I think somebody translated it from German. That he's he actually said that he's the focus is is Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this so is yeah, all everything else is sort of practice for him. So yeah, th- th- that's what he said. Is these these are kind of more information tournaments. He's not really looking at results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for these tournaments all the way through Wimbledon, he's just looking to have a great tournament and be contending for Wimbledon mm-hmm. there, but not in these tournaments leading up to it. And uh, so what we're getting right now is basically gravy, but a really nice, uh, really nice kind of, uh, I gotta help me out. Yeah, really yeah, exactly. But I, it's yeah. like, it's basically gravy what we're getting at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he's taking a victory lap right now and any, any glory exactly, he yeah. can, he can grab is a, a bonus. Yeah. 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 It's all a bonus. Yeah. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. It's all. Did we get a chance to talk about Medvedev? Oh, um, no, actually. I, I, was, um, the, I, I was going to say Medvedev. his first round loss inspired me to write an article about how um, the next generation is not going to be as good as the Big Three era. Because <laughs> um, because uh, we've seen, I don't know, Djokovic have like a 20-30 match win streak, lose one, and then immediately start another win streak. And so I think while his his loss to Lajevic was surprising, it's... I, I think this sort of thing we we will see from from him in the future, other other top next gens and uh, future world number ones even. So, hmm. and, and and I think it's not altogether really surprising because I I would expect there to be a bit of a physical and mental hangover after the Australian Open. He had he had a great tournament. Yeah. Final was disappointing, but it was physically taxing all the same. So I think it's tough to come back with that same level of intensity immediately in your next match. Yeah. But hope to see a better level from him in Miami, for sure. Yeah, and he's playing Marseille again this week, and he's the number one seed there. Okay, yeah, um, I'll, I'll keep an eye on that as well. And so, so we'll yeah. see how, how he does there, too. But yeah, yeah I think... and congratulations to him for getting to number two. Uh, oh, yeah. Which he, he's the, not yes. yet number two, but he... But he will be, he, he will be in a week, yeah. And I, I mentioned that at the, at the very beginning. Yeah. We were talking I, about uh, okay, Dan, but he's going to be... Uh, Number two on March fifteenth, yeah, first time since July 20, 2005. But I think also a caveat to that is nothing to take away f- anything away from him. But also we should mention that the new rankings, right? H- um, half the points are, from Indian Wells, right? Yeah. Half the points yeah. from two thousand nineteen will stay on your ranking, but yeah. half of them come off, and then it's the better result of the tournaments that were weren't played in twenty twenty, but are being played in twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. So you either get to keep the best result that you get this year or half of the points from last yeah. year. And because Indian Wells wasn't played, for everybody, 50% of the points are coming off. Mm-hmm. And I think because Rafa Nadal got to the semifinals of 2019, Indian Wells had to pull out against Federer, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, 360 points came off his ranking, and Medvedev wasn't really the same player that he was mm-hmm. then. So I think that because of that, he's profited and he's taken that spot a little bit earlier than what we were yeah. expecting. And then obviously team, it, it really sucks for team because he won the title and he's going to lose 500 points right. for no avail. No, really no real reason. Yeah. 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 And, and it sucks too, because uh, 
Team just won his first Grand Slam, right? Yeah, so and he's exactly. worked so hard and hasn't managed to get through. And, uh, exactly. Yeah, and and I'm sure this is what Medvedev is fired to. Uh, the, the next Leighton Hewitt with an asterisk because of pandemic ranking rules. <laughs> um, but but yeah, um, all jokes aside, it's yeah. it's a great achievement. I mean, this hasn't happened for 16 years, so it obviously took a lot. He's been playing great on hard courts for the last yeah. half year, so um, well well deserved, even with the Indian Wells um, sort of weird ranking yeah. choice, I think. Yeah, and yeah, to be I, fair, like he he did do incredibly well at the end of last season until the Australian Open. Yeah, he he was uh, playing so, like a number two, playing yeah, like a number one at, playing, yeah. at the World Tour Finals, really. Yeah, just to consider that so many people considered him one of the favorites for the title, and mm-hmm. he only disappointed in the final, really. So. Yeah, th- throwing a little bit of shade at me there, Andre. I talked him up so much for the Australian Open. <laughs> Not just you. I'm I'm thinking of you, but uh-huh. I know that lots of people are actually thinking Medvedev was as well. Mm-hmm. Like so many s- pools on Twitter, I could see Medvedev's bar like really, really yeah, yeah. filling up. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will never underestimate Djokovic again. So. Yeah, it was, it was it was almost fifty fifty, but mm-hmm. it just it just shows you why they won twenty twenty eighteen stats. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, in doing yeah. so, um, he's yeah. also uh, Djokovic at the same week that Federer's coming back has also secured uh, the top spot for three hundred eleven weeks at number one. So I just wanted to say uh, massive congratulations to him, and I think that streak will actually keep on continuing because. Yeah. I don't see Federer or Nadal really getting to number one. Um, you know, I mean, Federer definitely not. And um, it'll There's take... No, Nadal gets like another 100 weeks. And yeah, no, no chance. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I, even for the next-gen guys, even for Team and Medvedev, they have to be really, really consistent. They haven't shown that quite yet. Yeah. Um, at the mm. level of Djokovic. And they, they don't have so his surface versatility gonna... either. N- not a threat exactly. at Wimbledon yet, so... Yeah, and so I think it's going to take a lot for him to stop. He could be approaching almost 400 weeks when it's all said and done. I mean, and so he gets to really enjoy that record now. Yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, I, I think 400 might be a little bit, a little bit excessive, but I'm not sure. He he could certainly do it. I I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, yeah. I will say the all-time record for if we're looking at just men and 377 Steffi Graf. 377. So I think if you can. So that's another one and a half years. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's it's a big ask, but it's. It, I mean, he's guaranteed at least another stable. couple. So yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how so, long it goes, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess that completes the roundup for last week and uh, expectations for this week, and uh, we'll definitely be back once uh, this week is over to assess Roger Federer's form and whatever he says in press conferences, which is always so good to, to listen to. Nadal's are also really good, but for a different reason. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we don't want to upset anybody. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, th- they're all great, honestly. Like, uh, uh, I, I say top. that just because I was just thinking of the unbelievable, which oh, even yeah. Nadal fans make fun of, the, which is hilarious. Uh, but Nadal is, Nadal is a great guy. His Spanish press conferences are, spe- especially because he's more comfortable in those. Like, you can see like how incredible he is in those ones uh but in any case uh this completes the roundup for for this week and um uh yeah great to see all of us here again uh, on the same uh zoom chat <laughs> because we're not going to be in the same room I, I don't know for until when because we all live in different places and it's not even because of the pandemic we campaign. <laughs> w- w- yeah. Wimbledon 2025 yeah 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 <laughs> let's just start a kickstarter <laughs> Yeah. 
But anyways, uh, yeah, thanks guys for being here again. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Tennis and Bagels at Tennis and Bagels. I am at Rollenberg Andre. Owen is at Tennis Nation and Vansh is at Vansh V2K. Go follow us all. Um, especially those two, they're always tweeting great stuff <laughs> on, and sites and stuff like that. So yeah, I'll, I'll follow, do my job. Follow Owen, for the, follow Owen for the visual stuff and great uh, analysis that he and does. And for the sets. Uh, and me for yeah. the stats and insight on those. Follow me, I'll be, I'll be posting stuff that they post. <laughs> I'll retweet them. <laughs> well, you, yeah. you, you were, um, yeah, the best. you started the, the whole podcast, so. Yeah, so. Yeah. Follow you're, you're me, otherwise, uh, follow me, otherwise I'll kick those two out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So anyways, yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. See ya. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.